Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 10 tonight. We'll uh, give you kind of a head start on the scripture that we're going to use for a beginning point. But um, I'm looking around the room. Uh, is Linda Smith here? I don't see her. Am I overlooking her somewhere? Well, I was hoping she's going to be here, and, and uh, they normally do come on Sunday nights. Um, she gave me a real good testimony this morning that I, I wanted her to share, but she's not here, so I'll give it for her. Uh, she's got a little bit more detail than, of course, I'd be able to have, but you'll get the gist of it. She told me that uh, after the service this morning, she told me that uh, uh, her right eye has been losing color. It's been going dark. Now, I didn't understand that to mean that she was losing vision, just uh, uh, having difficulty seeing colors and and uh, and so forth. And I don't know if it happened this morning when she woke up or if it uh, sometime after then, but she said uh, by the time she got to church... In her right eye, all she could see was blue. Everything was blue. Well, if you're here in the service this morning, um, Beth had everybody lay hands on the person next to them and pray. She said after we prayed, and, and she didn't indicate to me that she had shared anything special with the people on either side, right or left side of her, you know, what she was, needed them to pray for or anything. It was just kind of a general, everybody put their hands on somebody else's shoulder and just prayed. She said after they prayed, her eye opened up and she was seeing color just as clear as she ever had. Isn't that good? Now, uh, the Christmas Eve service, um, was it last Thursday it was Christmas Eve? Uh, well, we have a Christmas Eve service every, uh, every year. And, and uh, at the end of the service, we try to rush out. We, me, Beth and I try to rush out to the front door and, and have a chance to shake hands with people that want to and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And so we had done that, and, and um, um, uh, really it wasn't a very smooth operation. By the time we got there, the way it was set up, one of the doors was, was closed, and so everybody was having to file out of one door. So I, I recognized that, and I tried to step back and let both doors be open, but somehow or another it just wasn't working. And so I, I really felt like I was under pressure to shake hands real quick with people, say Merry Christmas, and kind of rush out and get to the next person because everybody was kind of backing up and you know you see people at the back of the you know in the lobby looking around and stuff like that well i did that and there was this one uh, young lady she must have been 25 ish something like that i would guess and uh, so i shook hands with her and i said thanks for coming merry christmas and then looked away and started uh, shaking hands with somebody else and she didn't move and so i looked back to her and she had this look on her face like i really need to talk to you um well, folks, a lot of people think they need to talk to me, and they really don't. They just want to talk, you know. And so I didn't know what was going on, and I, I put on the best smile that I could and, and said, uh, well, sure, you can talk to me. I'm thinking, you know, everybody in the church is going to be mad at you for talking to me, but sure, you can talk to me. And she said, you, do you remember me? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. She said, well, about six months ago, I came to church, and uh, I had been diagnosed with cancer. There were some cancerous tumors in my body. And I came up after the service and asked you to pray for me, and you laid hands on me and prayed. And she said, those tumors are all gone now. Now, folks, I'd like to tell you that I've got great power to pray, and I can feel the power of God go out of me. But it's pretty obvious when you don't even remember who somebody was that you can't take any credit for what's being done. Amen? Did you find Isaiah 10 yet? Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27 is a verse that has a dual meaning. Israel is under the bondage of Midian at the time, and God is telling them that they will 
that he will operate on their behalf to deliver them from the bondage of the Midianites. But the Midianites, just like the Philistines or any other group of people that were the the natural enemies of Israel, is just a manifestation of the devil's operation against God's people. So the dual meaning is certainly the, the literal meaning is his deliverance of Israel from the Midianites. But uh, more importantly, in my opinion, is the secondary meaning, which means, uh, which reveals and, and points to God's plan of redemption through Jesus to deliver us from the ultimate enemy of God and his people, and that's the devil. So notice what it says in verse 27, and it shall come to pass in that day. Concerning us is the day that we're living in now, the day of the resurrection. And it shall come to pass that in that day that his burden shall be taken off from thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And that's talking about the devil's yoke of bondage. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And the yoke, the devil's power to, to hold people in bondage, shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now, I, I came up under Brother Hagin, and Brother Hagin had a special anointing to heal the sick. Jesus had appeared to him in, in, in a vision numerous times, but one particular vision in 1950 in Rockwall, Texas. He was praying in a, in a tent meeting, and it was raining, so everybody was kind of huddled up close together. And all of a sudden, he heard a voice. Brother Hagin heard a voice while he was praying, and that voice said, Come up. Come up hither. Well, he said, I just assumed it was some kids up on the hillside. There was hillside, you know, behind where the tent was set up. He said, I thought there was some kids trying to disrupt the service, and somebody get up there and take care of them. And, um, and, and so he kept praying. So after a few, few moments went by, he heard a voice again. And this voice said, come up, come up hither to the throne of God. And Brother Hagin said, when he said that, he said, I opened my eyes, and there was Jesus. He said, immediately I was in the presence of Jesus in the throne room of God. He gave many details of, uh, uh, of what uh, uh, was surrounding the event and so forth. Everybody wanted to know what Jesus looked like. What does he look like? Brother Hagin used to say, I could care less what he looked like. I want to know what does he have to say. Because it's the word that counts, not his appearance. It's the word that counts. And so he said Jesus took the right finger of his, forefinger of his right hand and placed them in the palms of each one of Brother Hagin's hands. And he said when he did, they began to burn like he was holding a coal of fire. And the Lord said, I have given you a special anointing to heal the sick. And he said, when you're in the spirit, this anointing will work if you'll do certain things. And he told him what those certain things were to make it work. One thing was he had to tell people that Jesus had appeared to him and uh, had anointed him and what he said to him and so forth. He said, when you're in the spirit, this anointing will work and heal sickness and disease. So I'd always looked at this verse of scripture. It was really the only way that I ever heard it preached. I certainly never heard of Isaiah ten twenty seven in the Baptist church that I grew up in. So the only time I ever heard the Isaiah ten twenty seven used was when Brother Hagin was talking about the special anointing that God gave him to minister to the sick. And rightly so. If I had a special anointing to minister to the sick, I'd talk about it in that context too. Wouldn't you? Especially since Brother Hagin had to tell people that Jesus appeared to him and told him that he'd given him a special anointing to minister to the sick. It makes perfect sense. But I, Jesus hadn't appeared to me and given me a special anointing. So the the question I guess I'm getting around to is, does Isaiah 10.27 only apply to people who have special anointings? That's the way most of the church world, at least our part of the church world, sees this verse of Scripture. Outside of our part of the church world, nobody knows it's there, and nobody would even consider what the anointing was one way or the other. But literally, 
Here's God saying that the yoke, the devil's bondage, that would certainly include the yoke of sickness, shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Because of the anointing. The issue that I'm really getting to and and want to dispel tonight is that most of the time when we, people of faith, people that believe in the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and such, most of the time we look at that and we're looking for somebody that has some special something from God. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Well, let's find somebody that's got a healing anointing. Let's find somebody that's got some miracle anointing. Let's find somebody that's got something. But I want to dispel that, folks, because the only way uh, it special anointings given to certain people, ministers or ministries or so forth, is not the only way or not the only things that the Bible says are anointed. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It's certainly his message. If it wasn't Paul that wrote it, somebody knew his message as well as he did. Notice Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now you remember, and I'm not going to take time to turn to all these scriptures, but I hope you know your Bible well enough so that we don't have to and I don't lose you. But in Luke chapter 4, for example, it tells us that when Jesus went in his earthly ministry the first time to his hometown of Nazareth. And he opened the books. He stood up in the synagogue on the Sabbath day to read, which was his custom, the Bible says. And he opened the scrolls. He opened the book of Isaiah. It's what we know of as Isaiah 61. And he began to read. And these are the words that the Holy Ghost recorded that he read, beginning in verse 18, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Now, the only thing Jesus could possibly be talking about as the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 is what had happened just a little time, a short time earlier when he had been baptized by John in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River and Jesus came to where he was, walked down to be baptized in the river. Apparently it was a setup where People just walked down to John that wanted to be baptized. They lowered themselves under the water and lifted themselves back up on their own power. And it was a baptism unto repentance. John's message was repent because there's one coming, the promised one, the Messiah is coming. Well, Jesus, who was the Messiah, walked down to be baptized of John just like everybody else did. And John saw him and said to him, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, well, suffer it to be so right for, you know, for this time to fulfill Scripture. So he went through with the baptism. And when he was come up out of the water, the Bible says that heavens opened. A voice cried out from heaven. God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form as a dove. It doesn't say it was a dove. But something came down from heaven like a bird would fly from the sky and landed on Jesus and stayed there. The Bible goes on to tell us that Jesus returned from that baptism experience. And the first thing the Holy Ghost did was lead him out into the wilderness. He was out there for 40 days where he was tempted of the devil. Now the King James says, uh, translation says that he was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
Well, he was led by the Spirit of God not to be tempted of the devil because temptation of the devil does not strengthen you. It doesn't do anything except give you a chance to use what you've got. So there'd be no purpose for the Holy Ghost to lead Jesus into temptation. Furthermore, the Bible said God can neither tempt anybody with evil nor does he use evil in any way regarding temptation. So God led him out into the wilderness for a different purpose. But during that time that he was out there, those 40 days that he was out there, the devil came to him, which is what happens with any of us whenever we start making strides to draw nearer to God. No reason to be surprised. I've had people say, you know, Pastor Mike, as soon as I decided to follow God, it seemed like all of hell turned loose on me. Well, duh. Why do you think that happened? Because the devil's trying to get you to turn back on your commitment. You don't believe that, folks. Just decide that from now on, make a New Year's resolution that you're going to pray an hour every morning. Watch and see all the things you remember to do and need to do to try to get in the way of that hour. It's just the way it works. So Jesus was tempted of the devil. After these 40 days, the devil came to him. Jesus answered and responded to those temptations in the same three ways. All three temptations, he responded in the same three ways. And by saying, it is written... It is written. In other words, Jesus' example for handling temptation was to quote the word. I never ever understood people criticizing the confession, the principle of confessing the word. But you find it out there a lot. As a matter of fact, the whole issue, the problem most of the church world has with the issue or the subject of faith is not believing God. Because everybody says they believe God. The issue they have with faith is the confession part. I've had people say, well, the very idea that you would say something that isn't true and expect God to bring it to pass, which is exactly what the Bible says, only not the part about saying something that's not true, saying something that you can't see, saying something that the Bible says is true that you can't yet see. But people have a problem with speaking contrary to what they can see and feel. That's why a lot of people will never receive their healing because they'll never confess their, their healing before they feel it. So that's the issue that people have with the so-called word of faith message or faith message, whatever you want to call it. The issue is not believing God. The issue is confession. Most people want to believe God, and then when they see things change, then they'll say it, which is a guarantee for failure. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You can't wait to confess the truth of the word after you see it. It won't work that way. It's the confession before you see it that brings it to pass. So Jesus answered the temptation of the devil the same three ways, three times, three temptations, three responses. It is written. He quoted the word. That should be a good example for us to follow. Immediately following that, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went, a fame, there went out a fame of him throughout all the region, throughout the land roundabout. That's when we find him in Luke chapter 4, going to Nazareth and saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me, and says what he's anointed to do, to preach the gospel of the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. First two things he mentions he's anointed to do is preach and heal. Preach and heal well the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever so if Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and he was anointed yesterday 
meaning when he was here on the earth in his earthly ministry. And if the Bible's true, he's got to be anointed today. And if the Bible's true, he's got to maintain that anointing all throughout history. I'm sorry, all throughout eternity, throughout the future. Otherwise, we're going to have to tear uh, Hebrews 13.8 out of our Bibles. No, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said that he was anointed. He said that he was anointed. He said he was anointed to do miracles of healing, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He's anointed to heal and to do miracle works of healing. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Anybody know what the name Christ means? It means the anointed one. Jesus Christ means Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the anointed one. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, the last night he was with his disciples, at the Last Supper, the night that he was betrayed. That's why Jesus said, Whosoever believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And even greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And then he tells how it's going to happen. Whatsoever you call for or require, King James says ask, but it's literally the word call for or require or demand. Whatsoever you call for or require or demand in my name, I will do it. Why? Because he's still the anointed one. If Jesus were not still the anointed one, there'd be no power in his name. If Jesus' anointing was just for the time that he was here on the earth, then where would the power in the name of Jesus come from? Now, some would answer and say, well, it's a different anointing. It's a different power. God gave him a different power. He gave him a name that's above every name. Well, that's true. But it still didn't change the fact Jesus told us to use the name. See, you can't even make the, make the argument that Jesus has the power and he keeps it for himself. Because he said the works that he did here on the earth, which we know were healing works, included healing works and miracles. He said we'd do the same works. Why? Well, he did the works when he was here on the earth because of the anointing. How are we going to do the same works that he did? Because the anointing is still in his name. Not because we're anointed. See, I think that's where the, the, the idea breaks down. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Let's find somebody that's got an anointing. Well, the name of Jesus is always anointed. The name of Jesus is always anointed. Always. That's why Jesus said, whatsoever you call for or require. Again, the King James uses the, name, the word ask. This is John 14, 23. But he said, whatsoever you call for, require, or demand in my name, I will do it. Then he goes further in the next verse and said, if you ask, same word, call for, require, demand, anything in my name. Well, that would include healing, wouldn't it? Healing would have to be part of anything, wouldn't it? If you call for, require, demand, anything in my name, I will do it. I gave you the wrong verse numbers. That's John fourteen thirteen. And 14. I'm thinking of John 16, 23, where Jesus is talking about the use of his name in prayer. He said, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Same word, ask. Call for, require, demand. Whatsoever you use my name to obtain, in other words, the Father will give it to you. 
So he said the use of his name will do two things. He said the use of his name for service to do the same works that he did causes Jesus to come on the scene himself. He said as far as prayer is concerned, he said when you pray in his name, it causes the Father to move on your behalf to answer your prayer. So doing the works of Jesus are different, is different than praying. has to be. The response of doing the works of Jesus is that Jesus comes on the scene. That's what happened this morning with Linda's eye. That's what happened with that little girl that I prayed for to be healed of cancer. We didn't ask God to do something. We laid hands on her and ministered the healing power of God to her because Jesus said we would do the same works that he did. And what happened? Jesus showed up. Jesus came on the scene. How come? Because he said he would. Because he said he backs up his name when it's used. Now the second thing I want you to see, I want you to turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4. If the name of Jesus always is always anointed, and it is, then we don't need to find somebody with a special anointing. Jesus has got a special enough anointing on his own. You know of anybody to be willing to disagree with that? Jesus is anointed enough for whatever your situation is, for whatever you need. You don't need some minister, some preacher, me or anybody else that claims to have something special from the Lord. The name of Jesus is always anointed because he's the anointed one. He's still Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Now, the second thing that's always anointed is the word of God. Notice in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I like another translation on this first part of the verse. It says the word of God is full of life and power. It's full of life and power. It's full of life and power. Now, remember the Bible says in Isaiah ten twenty seven that we looked at, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So whatever bondage the devil has over somebody, whatever hold the devil has over somebody, and we're talking about healing because this is a healing school. So the bondage would be sickness or disease. It says sickness and disease, therefore, the devil's bondage is destroyed because of the anointing. Not because you've got, you can find an anointed minister, but because of the anointing. And the name of Jesus is always anointed. And the Bible tells us of itself that it's always anointed. The word of God is quick and powerful, full of life and power, and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder between soul and spirit and the joints and the, and the marrow, and the, the intents of the heart, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In other words, the word of God is the only thing that can divide between spiritual things and, and soulish or physical things. That's why Jesus responded to the devil's temptation with the word. He didn't try to argue with him about what the devil could do. He didn't try to talk to him about who he was. He responded with the word. Why? Because the word is what has power. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, that was Jesus. He's the son of God. Yeah. The Bible said Jesus was the son of God and he had the spirit of God without measure. At that point where he was tempted of the devil, he had the spirit of God without measure. And notice what somebody with the spirit of God meaning the power of God, without measure, unlimited power of God, does when faced with temptation from the devil. 
He quotes the word. Well, if that's good enough for him, shouldn't it be good enough for us? I don't know about you, but I don't have the Spirit of God without measure. I have a measure of the Spirit of God. I don't have unlimited power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I've got the power of the Holy Ghost to do and accomplish whatever God has for me to do. But my work is not the same as Jesus' work here on the earth in that respect. Jesus was going to take the sins of mankind. I'm sure glad I don't have to do that. Aren't you? And for that reason, because Jesus was here to destroy all the works of the devil, he needed the Spirit of God without measure. But you have a part and I have a part. He had the whole thing. He had all of the Holy Ghost there was. So you and I, which have the power to do the impossible, Jesus said, nothing shall be impossible to him that believeth. So we've got the power of the Holy Ghost in a measure that can accomplish the impossible. But that's not everything there is. How much more do we need to follow Jesus' example to quote the word when we're faced with temptation? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but sickness is a temptation. Disease is a temptation. The devil brings sickness and disease to you to see if you'll accept it. Now, this is where some people just turn their minds off and go tilt. Because they say, well, it can't be a temptation because the doctor says it's there. Well, it is a temptation because the Bible says you were healed by the stripes of Jesus. The question is, and it's always the same thing, and that is when faced with circumstances that contradict the word, the choice is always yours. Which one are you going to accept to be true? Because whichever way you accept it is the way you're going to have it. Whichever way you accept, if you accept the temptation, if you accept the sickness and disease, then it's yours. Brother Hagin used to use the example of the postman or mailman bringing a package to your door. You can't help what package somebody brings to your door, but you can accept. You can determine which one you'll sign for and accept. So the devil may bring temptation, sickness, and disease to you. And every time he does, every time he brings symptoms to us, it's his package of sickness and disease to see what you're going to do with it. Well, how do you sign for it? You sign for it with the words of your mouth. You sign for it by saying, well, I guess I'm getting sick again. It's flu season, you know. Maybe I should have gotten that flu shot. Seems like every time flu season comes up, I get it. That's accepting it. That's saying it's yours. That's saying that the physical fact is a reality in truth. Why do you resist it? How do you not sign for it? You say in spite of the symptoms, in spite of the feelings of flu or sniffles or head colds or whatever else, in spite of the symptoms, you say, well, I may look like I've got the flu and I may feel like I've got the flu, but the Bible says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I'm healed. So no matter what it looks like, no matter how I feel, according to the word of God, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's faith. It's not denying the circumstances. It's not denying the situation. It's claiming the word of God as truth. Now, folks, I'm going to ask you a real simple question. Is the Bible true or not? God said it was. Jesus said heaven and earth would pass away, but his word will never fail. 
Think about what that means. Heaven and earth will pass away. There's coming a time where this physical realm, everything we know about this physical world will melt away. But God's word will never fail. That doesn't mean it, that doesn't just mean it will never end. Jesus said it'll never fail. There's a difference between something coming to an end and failing. He said it would never fail. This world's coming to an end. He's talking time. But the word of God never fails. He's not talking time. He's talking power. So notice the contrast Jesus makes. Jesus makes the contrast between the power of God and physical time. Which is where most people trip up in their faith. They start off believing. They start off confessing the word. And then there's a delay. And they allow the time factor to rob them of what they said and began with as truth. They let go of their hold on the word of God. So the word of God is quick and powerful. That means it's full of power. That means it's anointed. That means it's always anointed. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. That lines up exactly with what Paul wrote to the Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what does gospel mean? Well, the gospel means good news. Let me ask you a question. How do you know the good news of Jesus? Isn't it through the word? So are we taking anything away from the scripture to say the gospel is the word of God? Well, you're not taking anything away from it. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, of Christ. For it, the gospel, the word of God, is the power of God unto salvation. Now the word salvation, both the Jews and the Greeks. Now the word salvation is a lot, means a lot more than the modern church speaks of. Modern church uses the word salvation to talk about forgiveness of sins. The word that's used in Paul's writing most often for salvation is sozo, S-O-Z-O in the Greek. Sozo. And it's an all-inclusive term. It means to rescue. It means to deliver. It means to make safe. It means to make sound. It means to heal. See, Jesus didn't just die for your sins. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's both uh, two terms regarding sin. But it, then it goes further and says he was, uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He paid a price for that thing called peace, Hebrew word shalom, translated prosperity in other places in the Old Testament. Jesus paid the same price, the shedding of his blood, as punishment for sin, the same blood was punishment for prosperity, for poverty, punishment for pros- poverty so that you could walk in prosperity. And then the, the verse, chapter uh, Isaiah 53, 5, ends in the final thing that Jesus did. It says, and with his stripes we are healed. With his stripes we're healed. Now what's so significant about Jesus' stripes? It was the shedding of blood. So Jesus shed his blood for your forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed his blood so that you not have to be bound by poverty. And Jesus shed blood so that you could walk in healing from sickness and disease. Now, folks, those aren't some denominational doctrines or ideas. That's Isaiah 53.5. The same verse of Scripture that says Jesus paid a price for your sin says that he paid a price for your physical well-being and healing. Same verse. 
Now, don't, don't despair. There's a lot of people that excuse that to explain it away. So if you're looking for a reason not to believe, you'll have plenty of company. You won't be alone in that. But it's what it says. So we're faced with the same dilemma. Is the word of God true or not? The word of God says that it's full of life and power. Full of life and power. Well, if something's full of, of life and power, that means there's no room for anything else. That's why Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will never fail. Because it's full of life and power. Same thing Paul is saying in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, folks, when you come to the place where you realize the power in God's word, there's nothing left to be ashamed of. You come to a place through determination, choice, commitment, and experience where you say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I know it to be true. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the word of God. For it, the word, is the power of God to save, to rescue, to deliver, to make uh, safe and make sound and to heal. To everybody, Jews and Greeks both. You can't just say, well, that was a blessing attached to the Jews. That belonged to them, but it doesn't belong to us. Paul said it belongs to Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. It belongs to everybody. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. We've just seen two things from Scripture. If the Bible's true, of course we know it is. But if the Bible is true, we've got two things that are always anointed. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke shall be destroyed, the devil's yoke of bondage. Again, we're talking about healing of sickness and disease specifically. So let's say it this way. Sickness and disease will be destroyed because of the anointing. Oh, Pastor Mike, that sounds great. How do we tap into that? By using the word of God in the name of Jesus. The word of God in the name of Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and it was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in, press, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Notice what she said. She said, if I can only touch him, I'll be whole. Now, why? Because she's heard of Jesus. What'd she hear? Well, she had to have heard that people were healed by physical touch because that's what she has faith for. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. She can't have heard that Jesus is healing people with his word because she doesn't exercise faith for that. If that's what she heard, if she just heard that Jesus healed people by speaking the word over them, then she'd have to have, uh, she would have faith to be healed if she could put herself in a position, put herself in a position to be in a place where Jesus commanded sickness and disease to depart. That's not what she has faith for. So she has faith for only what she's heard because that's the only way you get faith is by hearing. So since we know what she said, we know what she heard. She heard that people were healed by the physical touch of Jesus. So she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. One of the things I love about this story is so many people seem to miss. See, most people will hear stories of, of, or testimonies of people being healed, and they'll come up with excuses for why it won't work for them. She didn't do this. 
She understood that if somebody else was healed, I can be healed too. She understood that if somebody else was healed by the physical touch of Jesus, whether them touching him or him touching them, just physical contact, then she can have the same thing. So she went out and took hold of it. That's real faith, folks. Faith finds a reason for why it will work for me, not why it won't. So when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, for she said, because she said, here's why she took the action, is because she said something first. Because she said, if I can touch, just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, so King James says virtue is literally the word power, Greek word dunamis, or dynamon, both roots of the same word power. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? In other words, the disciples say, Everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? The whole crowd is moving back and forth like a wave because everybody's pushing to get close to you to touch. Now think about that for a minute. you got a multitude of people. We don't know how many, but enough to where the disciples can't find one specific woman. So you've got a multitude of people making the same physical contact she did, yet she's the only one that received anything. What does that tell us? It tells us it's not physical contact alone that does the job. But Jesus looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now compare verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 28 and verse 34. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. In other words, what she said was her faith speaking. What she said was her faith speaking. And folks, that's always the case. What you say is your faith speaking. Whatever you're talking is what you believe. You're either saying something because you believe it, or you'll start believing what you're saying. But faith and your words are directly connected. There's a direct link. That's why the Bible says to guard what you what you say. Nowhere does the Bible say guard what you believe. Because you can change what you believe by changing what you say. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And he said unto her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, folks, I've got a, a question to ask you. Didn't we just read that Jesus felt power go out of him and into somebody else? Didn't we just read that she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague? Well, if the yoke is destroyed because of the anointing, and the yoke in her case is this issue of blood that she's had for many years, then how can we say that her faith made her whole when we know that it was the power of God that did the work? Because Jesus is not crediting the power of God as the source. He's crediting her faith to trigger the power as being the triggering agent, in other words, to cause the power to work. Now think about it from Jesus' standpoint. Jesus has got the spirit without measure. Anybody want to believe that this woman with the issue of blood is the only sick person in this crowd? 
If so, what's everybody else trying to touch him for? Bible's already told us that there went a fame of Jesus throughout all the region round about. So if the people that are in this crowd are not sick, they're not needing anything, why are they trying to touch him? If they're just along for the ride to watch him go to Jairus' house, which is where he's headed, why is everybody jostling around trying to touch him? The disciples tell us specifically that everybody's trying to get their hands on him. Why? If not to receive something of him, if not to try to take hold of the power that they've heard is on Jesus and doing healing miracles and so forth, then why in the world are they trying to touch him? Why are they touching him? Folks, the reality is there's a lot more sick people in this crowd than just this one woman. Why is this one woman the only one that gets anything? Well, by what Jesus said, we would have to conclude she's the only one that touched him in faith. Now think about what that means. Here's people that have a genuine need, maybe as dire and critical a need as she had. Maybe more. There may have been terminal cases in that crowd. Somebody on their last desperate attempt to change their circumstance. And they didn't get anything. Well, doesn't God care about them just as much as he cared about this woman? Sure, God cares about everybody equally. Well, then why would God let something like that happen? Why would God let a terminal case that might have been this crowd that touched Jesus, did the same thing that she did, touched him, heard the same thing that she heard? That's why they wanted to come and touch him. Why in the world would God, a loving God, allow somebody in that case not to receive their healing and maybe die of sickness and disease? And folks, the answer is very simple, very straightforward. You might not like the answer, but it's straightforward. And that is because he gives us all the opportunity to believe equally. God is no respecter of persons when it comes to the ability to believe and receive. But he doesn't do the whole work for us. Now, there are some cases where God moves and initiates things on his own. He does the work independent of somebody else's faith. John chapter 5 is a good example. The man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus comes to him and said, Wilt thou be made whole? He's waiting for the angel to stir up the water and be the first one in. And his, he complains about his problem. He says, Well, I'm too, I'm too slow. The water gets troubled, but somebody beats me down into it. Jesus asks him, He said, wilt thou be made whole? He's looking for faith. Wilt thou be made whole? What do you believe? I said, well, I'm too slow. My problem is I'm not fast enough to be the first one in the water. So what does Jesus do? Jesus initiates the healing work of God on his own, independent of this guy's faith, because we don't have any evidence that he has any. So Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he does. Creates quite a stir. And Jesus conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that that place. Jesus didn't even stay and and take credit for anything. He didn't preach a sermon. He didn't tell everybody, wait a minute, the angel up to now has been troubling the water, but God sent me, I'm I'm the son of God himself. He didn't do any of that stuff. He walked away. He left five porches full of sick folks, impotent, crippled, halt. He left five porches full of people and didn't even try to minister to them. See, Jesus' earthly ministry was not what a lot of people think that it was. It wasn't what most Christians think. 
Most Christians think, well, if anybody had the power of God like Jesus, then they'd just heal everybody like Jesus did. Jesus didn't heal everybody. He healed everybody that came to him in faith. We don't have any record of him ever turning anybody away, which is the key. But he didn't heal everybody. He didn't heal everybody in Mark chapter 5. He didn't heal everybody in John chapter 5. We know in his own hometown of Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work. Now, here's the Holy Ghost. Jesus has just preached that he's got the Holy Ghost on him and he's anointed of the Spirit of God to heal the sick. But it says in his own hometown of Nazareth, Mark 6, 5, and he could there do no mighty work. He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, a few folks with minor ailments, and healed them. But he didn't have any blind eyes open. Even though he preached in Nazareth that the Holy Ghost had anointed him to heal the blind, bring recovering of sight to the blind. He didn't have any blind eyes opened. Why? Well, the Bible says that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. So in Jesus' ministry, his results were limited by the faith of the people. His results were stymied or stopped altogether by the unbelief of the people. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. And Jesus, in his own hometown of Nazareth, this Mark 6, 5, Jesus could there do no mighty work. Doesn't say he wouldn't, says he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work. Now, Jesus was the Son of God manifest on the earth. So if the Bible is true and Jesus is an example of the power of God in operation, we have to conclude that there are things that God wants to do that he can't do. Jesus wanted to heal these people, but he couldn't. Why couldn't he? Now, some people fainted. Some people will hear this and just faint dead away. All the very idea that there's something that God can't do. Well, the things that God has put in the hands of man to exercise his will toward, God is not in control anymore. God can't save somebody against their will. He can't heal somebody opposite a, a, a uh, independent of their own faith unless it's a case like in John chapter 5 where the Holy Ghost just moves independently. And it seems to me like too many people, maybe the majority of Christians, are waiting for that John 5 experience. You know how many of those times we have record of in Jesus' ministry? One, John chapter 5. And of all the healing works and miracles that Jesus did, it would seem like if that was a common occurrence with him, we'd have record of it. But we don't. Instead, we've got a record of more than 75% of the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry healed on their own faith like Mark chapter 5. Is there a conclusion to draw there? There is for me. That means the majority of people that are going to be healed in our ministries in doing the same works that Jesus did by using the name that is always anointed and the word of God that is full of life and power are going to be done through the faith of the individual. Through the faith of the individual. Now let me leave you with one final thought. Mark chapter 5 tells us of, of a woman that made physical contact with Jesus. And that physical contact brought her healing to her. And it tells us in her case that she felt power go out of her or out of Jesus into her. And Jesus felt power go out of him and into her. They both felt the power. Jesus felt the power leave him. She felt the power go into her. Do you know how many examples we have where people felt power? Very, very few. 
of all the healing works and the healing miracles that Jesus did. Now, one of the things that has kind of occurred to me, you remember that in, in just not too many years ago, the only way you could get Wi-Fi is to plug into a T1 line or a phone line or something like that? Boy, times have changed, haven't they? We live in a Wi-Fi generation. Now, why could you get the Internet in the old days by plugging in a phone line? Well, because you had a power source and you had a receiver. But the only way that the receiver could be connected to the power source was the physical connection of that line into your computer. Right? What do we have today? We have smartphones, computers, and tablets that in some unseen way reach out, not in a physical sense, but reach out in an unseen manner to a signal that's out there that we don't even we can't even see or feel. The same reception from the power source to the receiver takes place in an unseen manner. If internet connection and Wi-Fi connections work that way, who is there that's going to try to tell me that the power of God can't work the same way? And that's where I think we make a mistake. We're looking for somebody that we can make a physical connection with. It doesn't take a physical connection, folks. It can be an unseen or a spiritual connection. With the same anointing, the anointed name of Jesus and the anointing of the Word of God, which never, ever, ever fails. Let's all stand. Got your Wi-Fi settings on? That's faith. Faith is a spiritual Wi-Fi setting. That's what your faith is for, is to reach out and take hold of something you can't see. How many of you would take your iPads or your tablets or your smartphones, whatever you have, how many of you would say, well, I don't see anything connected to this, so I'm not going to even try to use it? We assume it's there. We've got these little bitty things that we carry around in our hand that we expect to be connected full time. Folks, I would submit to you that spiritually we can stay connected full time. Close your eyes and say this after me. Let your heart agree with it. Don't just repeat the words I'm saying, but let your heart agree with what I'm saying. I believe God's word. The word of God says that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I am healed. In Jesus' earthly ministry the power of God when received brought healing every time. The power of God is still available today. The name of Jesus is always anointed and the word of God is always anointed. Therefore, I reach out with my spirit. I put up my spiritual antenna and receive of the healing power of God. I declare that the healing power of God changes, alters, repairs, and restores my body to divine health 
from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. God's word is health to all my flesh in Jesus' name. Now reach out from within and take hold of it. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for doing a miraculous work in each one of us. According to our faith, even as Jesus said time and time and time again, according to your faith, be it unto you. Our faith is in your word, Lord. Our faith is in the anointing that destroys the yoke of sickness and disease. Our faith is in you, Jesus, to make good your word when we use the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's so good to be healed. It's so good to know that our bodies are free from the bondage of sickness and disease. Thank you, Father. Sickness and disease must depart from us because of the life of God within us and the word of God that we believe. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you make it so because we put a demand on your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so good to be healed, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the work you did. It's so good to be healed. Sickness may exist in our bodies, but we are healed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for making it a reality in our flesh, according to your word. Because heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word will never fail. God's word will never fail to restore us to divine healing and health. It'll never fail. To bring us back into divine health. Hallelujah. 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 Now let me encourage you to do one other thing. You know as well as I do that sometimes Wi-Fi signal is stronger and sometimes is weaker. The more you confess the word of God, the stronger your signal gets. The more you speak God's word, the stronger your signal gets. Never, ever, ever stop saying what God's word says. Because heaven and earth will pass away. But God's word will never fail. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his healing mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you.